This talk was given at the Monastic Conference on the Environment, Gethsemane 3. It was given by Father Charles Cummings. The title of his talk, Simplicity of Life. Thank you. In a consumer society, those of us who follow the monastic way are marching out of step because we can be content with a simple lifestyle. Yesterday from Ajahn Punadamo, I learned a new word. It's a Pali term, sentutu, sentuti, meaning contentment with little or making do with less. I call it simplicity of life. Allow me to begin with true confessions. For many years, my life as a monk was simple. It was a simple round of chanting, manual labor, periods of reading and prayer, with no more personal belongings than I could put into my desk drawers and a couple of clothes lockers. I cannot pinpoint exactly when I began to lose simplicity in my life, but I confess I no longer have it. What I have now is a whirlwind of multiplicity and complexity a race against the calendar and the clock. Now, I hate to blame everything on my computer. (laughs) But as I look back, I remember a time in the mid-80s when I acquired my first computer and made the transition from typewriter to this new technology which was supposed to simplify my correspondence, my creative research, and my writing. But a technology still prone to freeze-ups and breakdowns, loss of data, and a consequent increase of work. Next came the internet and email intended further to simplify my duties. Instead, I began to spin faster and faster, not in the prayerful way of the whirling dervishes, but with the mindlessness of a toy top going nowhere fast. Now, if it is not too late, I want want to get off this merry-go-round and get back to the simple life, back to center, 
before I spin totally out of control, like an unguided monastic missile on the way to outer space. But where is the wisdom that will point me to simplicity of heart? Let me write some things so you can follow along. First of all, I look to the Christian scriptures. Scriptural wisdom. This is pre-modern PowerPoint. (laughs) In the wisdom literature of the Hebrew scriptures, we find this thought in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is all I have learned. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. King David of Israel was in some respects a complicated man, but his devotion to Yahweh was simple, even childlike. After piling up mountains of precious metals and costly building materials for the temple of Yahweh, He offered it all to Yahweh in a grand gesture, saying, I know, my God, that you put hearts to the test and love simplicity. Wherefore, I also, in the simplicity of my heart, have joyfully offered all these things. Jesus seems to have equated simplicity of heart with a quality of childlike trust in God's care. Remember on one occasion he called a child over, placed it in their midst and said, Amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself in his public ministry lived in radical simplicity as an itinerant preacher, freely receiving and freely giving. He said, Foxes have dens and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. He cautioned against crass materialism to the neglect of the spirit. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and decay destroy and thieves break in to steal. But store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor decay destroys nor thieves break in and steal. He told the parable of the rich man who tore down his barns and built larger ones to hold all his goods. 
but that night had to face his eternal judgment. Thus will it be for the one who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich in what matters to God. What do I mean by simplicity of life? I think simplicity has two um, levels or two components or dimensions. material and spiritual. (coughs) On the material level, a simple life means a life that is uncluttered free of the superfluous, content with the necessities. St. Paul reminds Timothy in a letter, quote, We brought nothing into the world, just as we shall not be able to take anything out of it. If we have food and clothing, we shall be content with that. End of quote. Such a list prompts us to ask, how much is really enough? I myself would prefer to add at least a couple of items to St. Paul's short list. Food, clothing, a roof that does not leak, and a computer. This is my version of the four requisites. (laughs) On the spiritual level, a simple life suggests simplicity of heart. a heart that is centered on the one thing necessary, that is, the love of God or the kingdom of God. On this level, simplicity is not a deprivation, but is a rich and full experience, a life that is integrated not fragmented, but unified in the sense of the Greek monos, one, which is the root of the word monk. By the way, I use the word monk in the inclusive sense of male and female. To reach this level of interior simplification, usually takes a conscious ascetic effort in order to detach oneself from distracting desires. And we may compare the teaching of the Buddha on renunciation of desire or 
craving. Poet T.S. Eliot in Four Quartets may be speaking of material and spiritual simplicity at the same time when he describes, quote, a condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything, end of quote. Does he really mean everything? Isn't that going to an extreme? Or does simplicity beckon us to an extreme because there is something godlike about it? The closer we draw to God, the simpler we become. St. Teresa of Avila says, God alone suffices. Dios, solo Dios basta, God alone. Catholic scholastic theology talks of God as a reality not only without component parts, but without any composition whatsoever, not even essence and existence, because God's essence is God's own existence. Therefore, the lovely ballad in Leonard Bernstein's Mass is right on the mark with the words, Sing God a simple song, lauda laude, make it up as you go along, lauda laude, Sing like you like to sing. God loves all simple things, for God is the simplest of all. The mystery of oneness in togetherness. Simplicity and monasticism. Christian monastic tradition fosters a life of simplicity by surrounding the monk with some degree of silence, enclosure, natural beauty, a predictable schedule, daily and seasonal rhythms, and limited contact with society outside the monastery. In such conditions, a monk's mind and heart can drop their defenses and open up to all that is true and good. Open up to the seed of God's word in scripture. That is simplicity as openness. The monk can gather all of himself or herself into one and center his or her heart on the love of God 
That is simplicity as single-minded, single-heartedness or singleness of mind and heart. Monks accustomed to a simple life are secure and comfortable being who they are. They are unpretentious in what they say and how they act without duplicity or hidden agendas, the same outside and inside. I do not mean that they are simpletons in the negative sense, but in a positive way they are grounded in truth, humility, gratitude, and love. They are ready to love with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength because their heart is undivided and uncluttered. Concern for simplicity has led monks to reject the superfluous and to discover that less, not more, of something is often more beautiful and tasteful. I do not wish to get into the controversies about architecture, church furnishings, liturgical music and ceremonies, and religious art that sometimes set black monks against white monks in the Middle Ages and later. I think there's room for various expressions of a common ideal. But in this context, it may be worth recalling some more recent non-monastic witnesses like British economist Ernst Schumacher, who promoted technology with a human face in his 1973 book, Small is Beautiful, Economics as if People Mattered. Then there is the 20th century movement of minimalism in art, music, literature, the performing arts, and especially architecture. As, for example, in the Czech Cistercian Abbey, Novi Dvor, designed by London architect John Pawson, completed in 2004. These are contemporary witnesses to simplicity. I can give you further examples. First, some examples of groups that are characterized by simplicity. And then some examples of individuals. Without going too far back in history, we find communities often of a religious inspiration that choose to live frugally, close to the land, at a horse and buggy pace, cherishing the values of family and community 
content with the basics when it comes to food, furnishings, and clothing. In the 18th century, there was an influx of these groups to the U.S. I'm thinking of the Amish, the Mennonites, the the Shakers. In the mid-20th century, the Bruderhof immigrated to this country and joined with the Hutterites, but since have split from them. To return to the Shakers for a minute. You may know that they had a community called Pleasant Hill, located about 70 miles east of here, that was active for slightly more than a century until 1910, was restored in the 1960s, and is now a National Historic Landmark. Thomas Merton visited Pleasant Hill before its restoration and describes one visit in his journal, using the word simplicity to sum up his impressions. Quote, The empty fields, the big trees, how I would love to explore those houses and listen to that silence. In spite of the general decay and despair, there is joy there still and simplicity. Shakers fascinate me. End of quote. There's a Shaker hymn entitled, Tis the Gift to be Simple. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I can quote the lyrics. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, will be in the valley of love and delight when true simplicity is gained to bow and to bend we shan't be ashamed to turn turn will be our delight till by turning turning we come round right I think they um, they may have danced to that um, song As for individuals, we sense it when we learn about or meet someone who has a radically simple lifestyle. We sense their integrity and substance, their dedication to their chosen path. It is enough to evoke to invoke the names of some of these people who are better known apart from Jesus himself. I'm thinking of St. Francis of Assisi, 1182 to 1226, Thoreau, 1817 to 62, St. Bernadette Subaru, 1844 to 79, 
Saint Therese of Lisieux, 1873 to 97, Gandhi, 1869 to 1948, Pope John the 23rd, 1881 to 1963, Dorothy Day, 1897 to 1980, and Peace Pilgrim, 1908 to 81. Her real name was Mildred Norman, and for 28 years she walked back and forth across the U.S., logging more than 25,000 miles, preaching peace, owning only what she could carry with her. She vowed to remain a wanderer until mankind has learned the way of peace, walking until given shelter and fasting until given food. So she was called Peace Pilgrim. The simple lifestyle of such people, no matter when they lived, is countercultural, if you will permit me that word. I just use it in the sense of being out of sync with the society, making others question their lifestyle and so on. And I think that if monks today opt for a simpler lifestyle, we too will go counter to the general consumer society around us. Our choices will challenge the greed and wastefulness, the pollution and sheer noise that people accept as inevitable parts of life, especially urban life. Consumerism, fed by incessant advertising, is an addiction to buying unnecessary and often impractical new merchandise in order to fill an inner incompleteness. The consumerist slogan, as Sister Judith told us this morning, is, I want it all and I want it now. People forget that Whoever dies with the most toys is still dead. (laughs) In what ways might we as monks simplify our lives in the interests of being more ecologically sensitive? In answer, I would like to propose three R's. Reduce consumption, recycle, and rely more on one's 
own community. So the three R's. Number one, reduce consumption, conserve. The current jargon for reducing one's impact on the environment is to reduce your carbon footprint. It does not mean taking off shoes before coming indoors, although that may be a good idea. Our carbon footprint is the amount of carbon dioxide we release into the atmosphere, such as by driving a car or using electricity generated from coal. Some people try to give up non-essential carbon emissions for Lent, although they don't stop breathing. Others buy carbon credits by planting trees that consume carbon dioxide. Vatican City actually plants trees in Hungary in order to offset its carbon footprint. Two, recycle and repair. Living in a throwaway culture where goods are engineered to break down or become obsolete in a few years, monks can sometimes mend what tears or repair what breaks down instead of pitching it, or can be content with using an older, less convenient model for a little longer. When we do throw something out, we can try to throw it in the proper receptacle for recycling. Some monasteries have various receptacles for paper, glass, aluminum and other metals, compost material, and plastic. Jesus told his disciples, gather the fragments left over so that nothing will be wasted. You have also heard One person's trash is another person's treasure, and it's true. To give one example, our obsolete computers, monitors, televisions, and cell phones discarded at the rate of about 3 million tons per year in the U.S., can be smelted down and the valuable components extracted and reused. I think recycling goes with a simple lifestyle because it disciplines the instinct to hoard, also called the pack rat syndrome. On the other hand, too much compulsiveness about recycling can also complicate one's life instead of simplifying it. The third R, rely on oneself in order to be as self-sustaining as possible. Now this advice applies to monasteries 
more than to individual monks. For centuries in the Christian West, monasteries were largely self-sustaining. According to the principle in Benedict's Rule, chapter 66, the monastery should, if possible, be so constructed that within it all necessities such as water, mill, and garden are contained and the various crafts are practiced. In today's interdependent world economy, a monastery might succeed in being partially self-sustaining. I don't say totally. Some food needs could be met by a vegetable garden and a greenhouse and maybe animals. Energy dependence could be reduced by use of solar, wind, or geothermal resources. For example, the Trappists at Numellery in Iowa heat and cool their casket factory by an underground geothermal system. And St. Mary Monastery in Rock Island has a geothermal system to cool and heat their monastery from an artificial lake about one acre in area with five miles of piping beneath it. And the Trappistines at Mount St. Mary's, Rentham, Massachusetts, with the help of a grant, are installing a wind turbine expected to generate enough electricity to meet all the needs of the monastery. And then there's Ajahn Sona's um, forest monastery in British Columbia with their solar panels and um, wood-burning furnace. Now I want to draw our reflections to a conclusion. In today's interconnected world, simplified living is practically an issue of justice, a moral issue. Because of this moral dimension, Pope Benedict, on numerous occasions, has been a strong spokesman for responsible ecology, and so has the Dalai Lama. How can developed countries or monks in developed countries justify patterns of conspicuous consumption and thoughtless waste when so many human beings live in near destitution in developing countries? That's the one billion plus out of the six billion plus on the planet today. The fruits of the earth were given to feed all, says St. Ambrose back in the fourth century. The best motto is to live simply that others may simply live. Because Crude oil, as of a week ago, I don't know what it is today, costs about $130 per barrel and is rising. 
everything that depends on oil in our post-industrial society costs us more, beginning with transportation, but also the whole plastics industry, much of the chemical industry, much of agribusiness, with a ripple effect all down the line. For an oil-dependent economy, a petro-civilization such as the U.S., the party is over. Perhaps that will be a good thing for us from the spiritual point of view, maybe a blessing in disguise. If we move away from consumerism and materialism, toward voluntary simplicity of life. Let me just share with you finally a secret for simplifying your monastic life without tossing your computer. (laughs) Just locate the power button on your computer, then turn it off and go out for a walk. Um, I have a a short one-page reading list on simplicity of life that I've left on the table uh, for um, free literature back there. So help yourself. Thank you.